Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I think I listen to the music to a movie more than I'm into the movie. I listen to the transitions. I listen to the emotion that the, the composer is trying to convey, you know, with, with the music. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Last Words by the Pit. I am one of your co-hosts, Doc Coyle, from the band Bad Wolves. And I'm Zia from the Everything's Political podcast. We have a very, very special show with thrash metal drumming legend Dave Lombardo, and of course, an incredible film and television composer, Phil Eisler. Both are part of this brand new film that was just released on Netflix called Thunder Force. And we have this incredible thrashy, heavy metal, headbanging soundtrack that goes along with the score. How did this all come together? Dave, how did this all come together? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, Phil and I have a, a mutual friend, composer uh, Tyler Bates. And I believe Phil had some ideas of putting uh, you know, together some music uh, for the soundtrack. And, um, and he, he reached out, you know, he wanted to, to bring in the, the metal element. And, and uh, I came to mind as well as Scott Ian, and, you know, and, and this is basically in a nutshell, and I feel like Phil could fill you in a little better than that, you know, <laughs> and uh, he reached to a mutual friend that we have to get a hold of me. And uh, I was working on a project with Scott, and, uh, you know, he asked me if I could reach, uh, reach out to Scott and, and I said, I would. And next thing you know, it all came together and, and, uh, here we are. You know, I saw a, a scene in the movie where Melissa McCarthy's character's wearing a Slayer shirt and she's literally telling people like, you're going to rip this shirt off me over my dead body. Kind of thing. <laughs> and, so it was a natural, it was just a natural progression. Obviously natural it that way. Yeah. It was yeah. kismet. <laughs> Do you know what, though? I'd been thinking about doing this ever since. I mean, look, I was a huge metalhead when I was a teenager, right? And, and um, you know, Slayer and Anthrax were two of my favorite bands. In fact, I would say Slayer and Anthrax were possibly the second and third gigs I ever saw when I was about 12, 13, something like that. And, um, and some years back when I got into film score and I remember thinking, oh, wouldn't it be great if I could get this kind of super group together and then you know, and then put orchestra on it and all the rest of it. And then the opportunity came along. So all I had to do then was go to Netflix and convince them that it was a great idea to give me a million dollars to hire two, two <laughs> an orchestra and a choir and it'll all be fine and it'll all work out great. And um, given, you know, the big ask, I think they were pretty good about it, actually. In the, I think at first they would be like, I'm sorry, thrash, what? Thrash metal? What's, <laughs> what the hell is that? And then... Um, and then when they heard some demos and stuff, they were like, oh, okay, yeah, it works. It's good. Well, there's no shortage of programming on Netflix right now. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. for sure. <laughs> and almost no shortage of money. Uh, yeah. 100%. No, no, I would imagine not. I, I would imagine uh, the owners of Netflix, whoever they are, uh, I'm not worried about them, put it that way. 
Yeah. You know, Dave, obviously you have no shortage of accomplishments in your life, um, especially on the musical side. I, I'm always curious about artists like yourself who, you know, obviously do a diverse kind of swath of projects. And then it seems like a natural progression to go into soundtracking. And I always think of Atticus, Trent, just like people who have really raised the bar on how soundtracking can start to weave into like landscapes audibly, right? How, um, how's that transition been for you? And I saw that you a few years back did some stuff for Californication and a few other shows. Like how does one who is a legend in their own right, get into that world? I mean, by, by showing uh, fearlessness and, and not, and not uh, caring what anybody else says about what you do, you know, you just go out at it, you know, uh, with your heart and what, what you want. Um, um, nothing's going to hold me back of something that I've always dreamed of doing um, or care of what anybody's opinion is or, or, or anything like that. Um, I mean, it started in 2004, again, with, with a mutual, our mutual friend, uh, Tyler Bates, he brought me in and, and had me record some drums for Dawn of the Dead. And, you know, ever since that, you know, that's just sparked an interest. And, you know, when you listen to soundtracks or, or I think I listen to the music to a movie more than I'm into the movie. I listen to the transitions. I listen to the emotion that the, the composer is trying to convey, you know, with the music. And, you know, so I don't know, that interest has always been there. And it's, it's just, I think it's just a natural, if, if you're a musician or like metalhead, just playing metal music all the time, but you like other styles of music and other ways of being creative, I think it's a natural progression to go there. You just, uh, uh, you just, you just go at it again fearlessly. You you don't uh, you don't think about it. You just do it, and you have fun doing it. You know, when when Phil presented me with the music, you know, you you have a point where you you have to really uh, dissect what he wants you to do, and um, it's it's exciting, you know, it, you're challenged in every way. And so it's just, you know, you're, I'm just continuing the love of music. And when, when movies and music go together so well, uh, that's probably just the natural step to go to. So Phil, I had, a, I had a question about just the genesis of some of the, the more metal stuff that you were working, where you brought these guys in. Is this uh -huh. something? Is it something where you had the the compositions pretty much worked out and then brought that to Scott and Dave, or is it something where you allowed them to kind of collaborate and build build the tracks? Yeah, I had so I had to demo up everything pretty closely. And these days, you know, in movies, it's it's it has to be pretty precise. Like back in the day, I think of John Williams, Jerry Goldsmith, Bernard Herrmann. You know, all of the the classic composers from from way way back before you had sequences and you know string sample libraries and all this kind of stuff um pretty much what would happen is the director would come in and you'd play him some themes on a piano and they'd go great and then the first time they would hear the the score would be on the scoring stage with a hundred piece orchestra sitting there so if nothing else it was a pretty expensive way to do it <laughs> these days budgets are smaller and and to be honest for some projects, especially something like this, it's good to actually be able to physically see something up on up on the screen against picture. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
and go, does this work or doesn't it work? And it might work for you, it might not work for the director. So you have to sort of be fairly precise. I think the biggest hurdle you face then is sometimes if your demos are a little too good, you know, there are some producers, not fortunately the, the people on Thunder Force, but I've come across a situation before where they'll go, these demos sound great. Why can't this just be the soundtrack? And I'll usually use the analogy of something like, you know, well, you wouldn't not color correct your film, right? Or you wouldn't film a table read. I mean, you'd have actors actually give you a performance. And that's the point of having musicians. And that's the point of having guys like Scott and Dave come in. I could have gotten session players to come in, but it's not just about having some chuggy guitars and a bit of, you know, fast drumming on there. It's the, these guys invented this shit. Mm -hmm. So that was the point. It's like, if you put my demos back to back with the finished thing, the form's definitely there, right? But there, there's a really good, you know, there's a really good example. There's one track beautifully entitled called Lydia Goes Apeshit. And it, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a fight scene, right? And it's, I don't think I'm giving too much away. Um, and I mean, Dave, my demo was fairly, it was fairly succinct, right? It was sort of, it, yeah. it, you know, the information was there. But if you compare that to what we actually played on the day, it's like, it's like night and day. It's like it, it has that energy that I remember feeling when I went to see Slayer when I was 12 or 13. And that, you know, those are the things that, funnily enough, probably more than actual film soundtracks, those were the things that inspired me to score movies more than anything else. Like I remember, I mean, look, if you listen to the beginning of Rain in Blood or the beginning of Among the Living, that's like the opening to a movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? And imagine being a 12, 13, well, I'm sure you don't have to imagine being a 12 or 13 year old kid in, in the front row of a show like that and the lights go down and the intro tape rolls and you just like, holy shit. It's, and it's blazingly loud and it's, you know, I mean, that's kind of the feeling I get when the curtain opens at a movie theater and the, you see the company credits come up and the music starts and it's kind of drawing you in bit by bit. I don't know to me, that's like one of the most musically exciting things on the planet. Yeah. It's inherently cinematic. It, yeah, it totally is. Especially the, the, uh, how can I put this? The theatricality of um, some metal definitely lends itself to that. You know, um, it's it's opera in a way. It's it's opera on like a grand, blazingly loud scale. I'm so curious. So for us noobs like myself, um, who have no clue how a soundtrack comes together and how you kind of map that out, can you give us a little insider insight onto like? I mean, you kind of mentioned that you created obviously that bass track, and then he you let the master go to work after that. Um, right. But like, what do you do it against the screen? Like, tell us a little bit about the what's what's the what's behind the wizard's curtain here. <laughs> the, the the first thing I really need to do is write some themes, and by themes I mean um, I give you an obvious obvious example. If you think of like Darth Vader's theme in Star Wars, right? everybody remembers that it's a melody you immediately associate with a character or a situation or a, a mood even you know it can, there are varying degrees of subtlety or not depending on the film and uh i'll usually do that after i've had maybe a conversation with a director maybe just seen a cut of the film sometimes it's just reading a script it really depends on where the film is is at and it, I've got to have some idea of what the intentions of the director are right so like what mood they're after what they want the film to feel like then I can go about trying to figure out what that should how that should translate into sound into mm. music um 
once I've got those themes, then I'm going to start looking at the picture and actually fitting music into scenes minute by minute, second by second, sometimes literally frame by frame. But before I've got those themes, there kind of isn't anything. If I just start playing up against screen and be, you know, kind of like putting up wallpaper, really. You've got, you've got to have that idea. I mean, same thing as writing a song. You've got to have a hook. Yeah, uh, Dave, I had a question. You're I, what I put in the category of like hardest working people in, in, in rock and roll. How do you have enough time or find enough time to be involved in so many different projects, be it bands or things like this, which are in a completely almost separate industry? And did a global pandemic help? Yeah, yeah why? Well, <laughs> Oh, no, yeah, global pandemic definitely didn't help. Oddly, I felt a lot more, uh, you know, productive uh, during a pandemic than I've ever have. Um, you know, it's just your time. You know, uh, I, I look at it as eight hours of sleep, eight hours for myself, eight hours for work. So eight hours of sleep, I wake up in the morning, I have a couple hours, three hours, four hours to myself, you know, then I go to work. And, and then, you know, and, and then the evening, you know, sometimes I, I break it apart, you know, and then I have somebody, you know, uh, you know, I have my wife helping me out with my schedule and, and you know, uh, and interviews and, and, and things like that, just time management, um, you know, it's you just do it, man. You just, you just, uh, you know, if you have two weeks to, to finish up on a project, you buckle down, you don't do anything else and you do it. It's just, I think, I think it's love for what I do is what it is because if I didn't love what I, you know, what I would be working on, uh, you, you wouldn't be able to get me to do it or it, it would, I would drag my feet, but because I'm so, in love with what I do for a living and enjoy it so much. And it's so gratifying and rewarding that, you know, it's easy for me to, to take on projects. I have to finish one project now and, you know, by, I'm hoping to finish it by, you know, the 15th. And it looks like I will. Uh, and I'm not supposed to take any more projects. And <laughs> I took on another one, you know, it's only three songs, but uh, okay, I'll do it for you. You know, so you just, uh, I don't know, man, I'm just having fun at what I'm doing and, and, and loving it. Well, that kind of led into this idea. I mean, you, are you at the point where you have to start saying no, or do you often have to say no to things because there's just a lot of demand? Yeah, I have to say, you know, I have to pick and choose what I do. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, in a time where everybody's like looking for inspiration, right? It's, it sounds like you're finding inspiration through your productivity. Where are you guys both finding inspiration right now? Man, it's, you know, with film, it's, it's sort of, I don't want to say it's easy, but at least it's there in front of you. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's literally getting to watch TV for a living. <laughs> 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 sounds okay sounds like a cool job yeah i mean it's 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 kind of that it's it's you know i mean the, i don't know i get overtly excited about cinema as a thing and as and music you know so it's it's kind of like dave said it's it is work but it isn't it's work in that it's like long hours and it's you know especially being a composer i, I mean i'll tell you i promise i'll never bitch about being on the road ever again because <laughs> 
that's it with easy compared to this it's like you know it's because if nothing else you're your own boss you know you have to you're the there's no tour manager going right be in the lobby by four it's you you've got to you know get yourself out of bed and, and do it but if you can do that i mean you know it's just it's fun you know what i mean it's your own bed that's that's the one plus you're not <laughs> if you're not on tour you're sleeping in your own bed even if you're working long hours yeah totally yeah, I like, you know, for me, the inspiration just comes from, you know, music in general and the love of music. So um, it, it, it doesn't take much. You know, it takes sometimes uh, a sound or, or, or maybe a, a short little movement in a TV show uh, or a movie I'm watching. And it's like, oh something just triggered an idea. Uh, I'm out of here. I'll watch the movie later. I'll run up to my studio and something very small will inspire me. And nothing may come of it, but still, I, I, it's just, uh, I think just the passion of what we do for a living is constantly inspiring us. It could be anything. It could be, I could be driving with no music on and just my turn, my signal, you know, my blinker, uh, you know, you, in your car, your turn signal, you turn it on and there's a pulse like, ah. <laughs> all of a sudden, wherever my mind will be, it'll create a pattern and I'll pick up my phone, record it. Boom, 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 Okay. Save it. And then go back home, play it. And it's like, okay, this was inspired by my turn signal, you know, making a left on whatever street, you know. So that's that's my insanity. That's my illness right there. Were you one of them kids that used to drive your teachers nuts drumming on the desk all the time? Yeah, I was. <laughs> I was. Straight to detention right and there. All yeah. the time. But the, yeah, I mean, that, you know, that stuff like is that, that stuff's never wasted. Like, you know, you said you have an idea and nothing might come of it. I mean, I'm not saying you use every idea you ever come up with, but like that, you, you have to listen to that voice. And I get them at the worst times. It's it's either in the middle of the night when I'm driving or in the shower for some reason. So mm -hmm. waterproof iPhones have been a fucking game changer. But um, like recording an idea wherever or, where, you know, or being able to write it down or whatever, you have to sort of feed that voice in your head because if you don't, it tends to go quiet after a while. You know, you have to sort of encourage your brain to, to keep that stuff ticking over, I think. Yeah, I have voice, anyway. voice memos uh, for me just driving or just doing whatever somewhere. And I'm just singing into my voice memo or singing some kind of rhythm or pattern. And, and then I'll, I'll go back to it and sometimes it's just scrap. It's like, eh, that's okay. But it felt good at the time, so there must be something to it. Uh, and other times it's like, wow, that's really good. And eventually I'll take it, I'll throw it on, you know, I'll, I'll listen to it and I'll start playing the drums and it becomes a really cool drum rhythm that later turns up on an album. So right. it's, I don't know, you just like, like Phil says, you really have to listen to that voice and just take it because that it's like those uh, enjoy the voices in your head. You know? <laughs> but, yep. It's the artist blessing and curse for sure. Now I don't feel so bad about the 500 notes that I have in my phone of half baked ideas. So 
Thank you for hiring me, guys. They're all half-baked at the beginning. Yeah. I love, I'll sometimes just put out one sentence and then go back and I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? Like, what was the spark of this idea? But you're right. Like for every one, there's about five others that have like a genius idea somewhere in it. Yeah. So, That's a good percentage. Yeah. So we've been talking a little bit or a lot of it about kind of the scoring and composition side of things. But it seems like with this particular film, it was almost like the scoring and the soundtrack side, right? Where you're like maybe using either, either previ previously existing songs or having songs made almost kind of blended. I just wanted to kind of give my side of it because that's almost the way I got into rock and metal was from hearing songs in film, be it Bohemian's Rhapsody in Wayne's World or uh, Guns N' Roses in Terminator 2. Uh, I just wanted to ask, Everyone kind of put this out to the whole uh, panel here. Is there any particular film soundtrack or a moment that was like inspirational to you or something that you still kind of sticks with you? We'll start you, Phil. Yeah, Phil. I, I feel like you got some good ones, Phil. Man, I've got so many. Terminator 2 was a good one, actually, because you, you, know, you mentioned that. Growing up, it was all um, early James Cameron movies, um, Ridley Scott movies, Alien, Aliens, um, Blade Runner. And a lot of the times, I wasn't so focused on the soundtracks when I was a kid. It would be, it's like you said, you would be more focused on a song, but you'd remember the film and you'd remember the feeling of the film. And when you went back to it later, you know, having maybe learned something about soundtracks, and I, I would totally encourage your listeners to check this out. Like, if there's a movie you really loved, you don't necessarily remember the music, go rewatch that film and pay attention to the music and you'd be shocked at what's in there. Like obviously Blade Runner had like a, you know, a seminal score. Matrix is another one. Mm -hmm. um, Heat is another, you know, another great one. Um, yeah. I mean, those are some of the most obvious ones that spring to mind. Every, every Hitchcock movie that Bernard Herrmann scored psycho vertigo. I mean, you know, there's, it's endless. Dave. Man, uh, wow, for me, it's like, you know, the, the, the songs that, like, for example, in, in The Omen, you know, the, the vocal, the choir, you know, Sangui, and, you know, all that, Minimu, all this, <laughs> you know, that, you know, you know, scared me as a kid. You know, those voices, you know, just were ominous to me. And I think you know, watching those movies, I think honed in what I liked and I enjoyed very dark and eerie sounds. And then I started becoming a, a fan of like, you know, uh, the classic, you know, the werewolf, Dracula. And you, you listen to, to those soundtracks and the eerie sounds that, that they developed and, and created at that time. And then, uh, you know, the film noir kind of, episodes and, and like the Alfred Hitchcock's, you know, uh, stories. And I don't know, I just felt more, I like, I gravitated more to the, the darker side. And I really enjoyed that, you know? And you know what? It's a, I'll tell you what, film soundtracks are a gateway drug. I think <laughs> they're, they're a gateway drug to, to orchestral music in a way that I would have never expected. Right. So if you, I, I, that's one of the things going into this movie that, was very much at the forefront of my mind because 
basically, I think orchestra and metal bands can have a hell of a lot in common. If you listen to, um, I don't know if you guys remember Shutter Island, mm -hmm. uh, Scorsese. Um, he scored that movie almost entirely with modern classical music, with modern orchestral music. And uh, there's, uh, I think it's a Christoph Penderecki song. Oh, uh, but yeah, uh, so Penderecki wrote this, what, was it Penderecki or was it, uh, I think it was Penderecki. There's one um, scene in Shutter Island where he's getting on the on the boat and it's taking him in into the into the island and the fog kind of parts and it's just gong, 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 basses and cellos, right? I mean, it's metal. It's you know, if you listen to the Rite of Spring by Stravinsky, that's like prototype heavy metal, it's chugging away. So it's it's um, a lot of film schools led me to discover. A lot of modern composers like um, Penderecki, Enjuani um, Rautavara, Arvo Pitt, um, uh, Petrus Vasks, you know, guys that like these are all fairly obscure names, but if you check their stuff out, you'll get it. And especially people who are into like dark music and metal and stuff. I mean, um, John Taverner, who did the soundtrack to um, Children of Men, remember that movie? Mm -hmm incredible like choir music in there like go check all this stuff out it's it's there's just so much out there that's you know such a big world out there to discover what about you zina any moments you can go back to and find some either because the thing is i feel like right now we're like talking about soundtracks over here and scores over here which are two different genres it's we're talking about two, two different things so zino you mean songs versus score right well, well the thing is i'm a fan of both i mean i'm gonna get into it but i want to hear from zina first yeah, no, totally. You, It's a good call out because I was just thinking about that. I mean, I always think, you know, when I was younger, like listening to like compositions, like your Tim Burton, Danny Elfman kind of relationships, right? Yeah. Where it's like, you're creating landscapes was visually and sonically, right? That create an entire world that is moved literally through the score. And then there's obviously those, I, I guess, how the soundtrack weaves in is actually an interesting concept because those songs are kind of like pulses within, but the score helps move along the vibe of the film or the vibe of whatever you're watching. Soundtracks, which is another thing that I love. Um, I feel I grew up in the 90s, right? <laughs> which I like to call the, the, the golden era of CD soundtracks. Um, there were a lot of key ones, actually. I really loved, and this is not metal of me, but I thought it was an amazing soundtrack but they also had a good score to this movie was Romeo and Juliet with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh -huh. There were two songs on there to me that I feel were like two of the most mind blowing songs that I heard when I was younger. Um, Garbage had a great song, number one crush on there. Mm -hmm. And Radiohead had a really good song on there, uh, talk show host that was just like, when you put it against the backdrop of the movie, it was just an incredible way that it dropped. Like that entire soundtrack was fire. Um, one that I was actually, cause I was thinking through this as an exercise was, there's an amazing cover uh, of the Midnight Cowboy theme song that Faith No More did, obviously covered quite some time ago. Just think that that's like one near and dear to my heart. Um, every time I hear it and it just like, it turns me on. Um, and then, I don't know, your, your basic stuff, like Judgment Night soundtrack, right? Who doesn't, who doesn't love that? We've talked about that plenty of times on this podcast. Tales from the Crypt had a fire offering, obviously Demon Knight. Pantera, um, that just kind of like piqued your interest when I when at least when in my formative years to like listen to other um, just different metal artists during the time. But yeah, 
There's one lately that was in, um, Christ, what's that Peter Berg movie? A Lone Survivor. At the end of it, they used Peter Gabriel's version of uh, Heroes, which is an, an orchestral retake on Bowie's Heroes. Have you heard that? No. No, no I haven't. I have not heard that one. Shit. Another really random one because I was thinking through this. I recently rewatched American Gigolo, and uh, I always wow. think of the "Call Me" interpretations throughout the entire. It's such like a weird device for that movie, but I think it's actually really genius in a really low key way. What about you, Doc? I'm sure Doc has some mind blowers. Yeah, right? like well, mine. You know, my epic. I feel like the big four of the '90s is The Crow, Last Action Hero, Singles. <laughs> And of, oh, course, yeah. and of course, Judgment Night for me, you know, being of, of my age and my, my era of, of kind of introducing all this rock music, but then you have the scoring side of it. And obviously I'm wearing a They Live shirt. I mean, John Carpenter, just mm-hmm. everything he's done is, uh, you know, maybe you know, the most prominent figure in just from a musical standpoint in the synthwave genre of music is John Carpenter, which is kind of insane to, to think about how, you know, how many classic uh scores he did and just his tonality it was almost a um a function of lack of budget and independent filmmaking using synthesizers but it became this aesthetic that really changed uh and influenced so much to this day things like stranger things and and things things like that but i'm also a big fan of clint manzel who's done a lot of the aaron darren aronofsky films uh the fountain is one of my favorites uh, a Wrecking for a Dream is crazy with the Chronos uh, uh, Quartet, who's an insane, insane group. Um, and also, I just think, you know, Hans Zimmer, the stuff he's done mm. in the last 10, 12 years, I think has really changed changed the game. Uh, I mean, obviously, Inception 1 is kind of the big one, you know, that kind of everyone copied, right? The walls and stuff. Uh, actually, I had a question for you, you Phil, because... I had this situation where a uh, movie I re- really enjoyed was Watchmen, Zack Snyder's Watchmen. And in the trailer, they used a Smashing Pumpkins remix, which was actually from the Batman Forever soundtrack on this like obscure EP. But then in the film, it wasn't in the film. So why is it that they always have these trailer songs that are really cool? And then you watch the movie and you're like, how come that song isn't in the movie? <laughs> I can answer that one too. <laughs> After working at a record label, you learn a lot. <laughs> what's what's? I'm curious actually. What's the label side of it? So I actually, um, prior to my day job, right now, I was working at Atlantic Records, and I did a soundtrack for um, Birds of Prey. And for Birds of Prey, it was interesting because you, it's it's a similar situation of what we were talking about between score and between the actual songs that get embedded into the movie and get licensed out for the movie. So I think it just depends, obviously, what you ink up in the deal. And then they'll reuse whatever, depending on like, you know, whatever their deal is. It's, right. it's all business at the end of the day, at least when we're talking about teasers and promotional materials. Yeah, and, and it's also interesting because trailer houses make the trailers, right? Not mm-hmm. the directors necessarily. I mean, they might get, they might give feedback on it, but there are specific trailer houses that do it. And it's a real formula. If you look at, it's funny because I was, what was I watching the other day? It was, I was looking back, maybe it was um, a Bond movie or something. But I remember looking at a trailer from, I want to say 15 years ago, 20 years ago. If, if you take a trailer from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, right? 
you'll see that they all have a formula. All the trailers from each era will be almost identical. In a world. In a world. You know, and then, but in terms of musical shape too, it'll be exactly the same. And when you, I've not done a whole lot of it, but when I've done stuff with trailer houses before, like a long time ago, they will literally give you a formula. They'll be like, it needs to do this for 30 seconds, this for five seconds, then it needs to have a section like this, and then it needs to have this big climax section. And right now the trend is taking, you know, uh, taking songs, um, particularly covers of like, you know, um, legacy classic songs and turning them into this like bombastic inception type um, kind of trailer music, right? Orchestral trailer music. Friend of mine, Tori Letzler, who's a singer, uh, recently did a thing on her social media which really cracked me up. I can't remember what the song was, but she was like, how to make a creepy horror trailer in three easy moves. <sighs> and she literally took, God, I've got to remember what the song was, but just took took this song and kind of did this breathy little girl vocal and then put it to, you know, like a quiet orchestral bit, a big orchestral riser. And then that was it. There's your trailer. Yeah, one of, one of my favorites was they did a version of Creep, Radiohead's Creep for the social network. And I right. was, it was very subtle. It didn't do the big inception thing, but I, but it was a, I think a good use that helped make that trend a little more <laughs> go widespread. Right, right, right. Uh, uh, so I actually wanted to kind of ask a question just relating to how metal and, and heavy metal plays into this stuff. Is there a band or an artist or someone out there that, you wish or do you think should be in a movie or should maybe get involved in scoring or have a song involved that isn't? Dave, doesn't Patton do a lot of that already? Yeah, I feel yeah. like that's Patton's juice, right? About Mr. Bungle or, uh, you know, The Misfits or Suicidal. I would, I'd love to hear Dead Cross do a soundtrack, man. Yeah. <laughs> I had actually, funny enough, when I was living in LA, there was, um, there was a show that I think that you guys had played that never got played. It was, uh, we were, it was so random. It was like at the, not at the El Rey, I want to say. It was a really random venue, but it like Mike hurt himself. <laughs> and like the show half started. Do you know what I'm talking about? The show half started and we're all sitting there waiting. I think we were with like Greg Pucciato and a few other people. We're all sitting there waiting and it never started. And the lights just went on. We're like, cool. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh... Yeah, Mike. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a sold out show in L.A., new band. And uh, Patton was uh, was leaving his house, jumped on a skateboard and had his backpack and just cut his chin. He was he was it was like a in a fight, you know. So, uh, yeah, we had to cancel and we postponed the show to the next day. Um, you know, that, that was crazy. I remember going to his house and trying to stitch him up and not really stitch him up, trying to put the wound back together. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. I got pictures of it. No, it's horrible. But okay. I feel, I feel like at least I wasn't lied to after we had sat there for two hours waiting. <laughs> yeah, it was horrible. It was terrible to try to explain to the crowd what happened. And, uh, and then, you know, having to postpone the show till the following day. Luckily, the venue was was available and we were able to play the gig. You know, and the, the first thing the guy does, 
after, you know, having stitches, I don't know, eight stitches on his chin, nine stitches on his chin, you know, the first thing he does is the music starts. And before he even starts singing, he jumps into the crowd. It's like, okay, great. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy life, man. Well, what about Phantomas did the director's cut record, though, with doing, I guess, covers of scores, right? Yes. Yeah. Patton, man, put that together beautifully. Um, I got to get you one of those CDs, Phil. Oh, yeah, uh, man, I love it. Oh, man. Uh, he took songs like Rosemary's Baby, The Omen, Spider Baby, uh, Der Golem, Investigation uh, of a Citizen. Uh, I, I forget. Uh, and then there's another Twin Peaks song. Um, I right, got to check that out. I mean, Patton's a genius, man. Yeah. But he put the, this album together and it's it's ma it's a masterpiece. And uh, with metal elements uh, and uh, times I had to play with brushes, you know, and hit oh, bells and all this stuff. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun, man. It, being part of any kind of movie score or, you know, transposing, you know, metal into movie scores or movie themes is always fun. And, and it's it's a. It's an area that should be, you know, explored a little more. What about you, Phil? Is there, is there any more thrash metal artists you want to put in films that we, we don't know about yet? I mean, you know, it wasn't even about bands. It was like, I, I hear certain things sort of in my head when I'm putting together a soundtrack. So I think, wouldn't it be great if this guy played on this or that guy played on that? And it's almost like, it's almost like casting actors in a, in a role. Um, so to cast an entire band. It doesn't have to be a whole band or just, it can be one person. All right. So if, if I was going to, I mean, listen, if I was going to put together another, you know, super group, like I was fortunate enough to just do, it would basically be these two. Man, it'd be great to get Hetfield. He's, <laughs> he's you know, he's incredible. That I still feel like that that guy is one of the best guitar players in thrash metal to this day. Never mind that you know he's another inventor of the the whole genre. But find no argument here. <laughs> you know, a lot of the people that I wish were doing it are doing it. You know what I mean? And it's not even necessarily thrash metal artists, but if you think of you know favorite producers or or artists, you think of Brian Eno, Daniel Lamois, sort of people like that. Well, they've done it. That yeah. you know they do it. Um, because their music's immediately cinematic anyway. You know what I mean? And I think, like, when I was a kid, whenever I really got into a record, like, my, you know, enduring memory of being a sulky teenager in the back of my parents' car, we were always on a trip somewhere. I was just trying to hide in a corner with my headphones on, was <laughs> listening to, like, Live After Death was a huge one, um, and Rain and Blood and Among the Living. And all those things conjured up images in my head so i th i think you know the people that are doing it make inherently cinematic music as it is you know what i mean phil do you ever sit down and just write a straightforward rock song or metal yeah, song we did for this movie 
<laughs> so for yourself, other than for the movies, do you ever, you ever live out your your home uh, rock star dreams? Well, it's where it's where I came from. You know, it's it's I originally started as a songwriter and I, I played in bands and I played very much not in the metal genre with uh, Robbie Williams for a while. And oh, nice. And we toured all over the world do, and we did everything from, you know, clubs to football stadiums. So I, I got to live that life and, and, uh, and I loved it and it was great. Um, I'd probably enjoy it less now because I've got young kids and I wouldn't want to be away 12 months out of the year like I used to be. But um, as far as writing goes, yeah, I mean, I I do it less now just because I'm so busy doing film scores. But that's why I jumped at the chance to write something with Scott and then with Corey, Corey Taylor, because, um, yeah, the opportunity doesn't come up as much anymore. And, and it was so easy um, with Scott. You know, it was just literally a quick back and forth of us sending cell phone videos to each other like here's this riff or here's another riff here's another thing and then we sent it to Corey and and uh he just banged out the lyrics and the melody like it was no problem you know and sometimes those things just sort of come together but yeah I mean in terms of just sitting down to write a song I probably do it less these days because the ideas you know everything seems to be geared towards film but having done this song I feel like uh those ideas are starting to wake up in my head again so yeah probably a lot more now We'll expect your album soon. <laughs> yeah, my, my solo record that nobody wants to hear. Zena, do you have any wish list for artists you'd like to see in a, in a film? More Mike Patton. I'm a Patton stan, to be honest. <laughs> I really, I'm just so impressed by his like depth of talent. And I think, um, you know, as David mentioned, like he's just done so many incredible things. And from opera <laughs> to obviously what Dead Cross is doing, like he's just so versatile. I feel like Patton can really take on any of those challenges and make it cool, right? Like he always has a way to just make it super cool. What about you, Doc? Uh, I think it's the most obvious thing in the world. And I don't, I don't, I feel like some film executive out there or some director, some producer really has to answer for this is that you had three Godzilla movies come out in about a five or six year span and they didn't call the band Gojira. But I'm saying what what music would be better for like a fight scene than Gojira's music? It's so epic. It's so heavy. It's so their their music is cinematic and atmospheric, but also I think would fit. So I I don't I don't know. There's a dereliction of duty. <laughs> and listen, they're not going to answer to me. But if I ever got in a room with them, it'd be like you might have to separate us because they I think they'd be very offended because I would. I would not, I would pull no punches verbally, that is. I think Doc's asking for that favor, Phil. <laughs> you know, if I'm bad, uh, you know, bands like Cradle of Filth, where they bring in, you know, orchestral sounds in their music. And, uh, you know, I think a band like that would be great to, you know, be a part of a, a, a soundtrack. You know, there, there's there's so many of them. Uh, there's another one that I, another band recently, I, what would you call that style of music? Help me here. It's, you know, symphonic black metal, uh, symphonic black metal. Okay. There's another Agram Car Carag, Agram Carag. They're another one that, uh, I, they might be from Norway or Sweden, but, uh, you know, that have these, you know, like dramatic, you know, massive orchestral sounds in their music. Um, so that, that might be a, a good option for them. 
you know, to dabble in. I don't know. I think it goes both ways. You can have there's there's bands that should be scoring movies and there's you know, ideas that come from the film world that should definitely make it onto records. I mean, that, to, you know, joking about solo records aside, I mean, th that kind of idea has been in my head forever of, of doing the kind of thing that we did with the Thunder Force song, but on a, a probably a more cinematic scale, because that was a, a straight up, like, end title, fun, heavy, you know, rock song, right? Whereas the thing that I've had in my head for ages is almost... Like, remember um, the first Portishead record, Dummy, which is a killer record. So good. But, you know, a sort of, I'm not even saying a version of that, but they did bring in orchestral elements, and it's it's sort of made me want to do something like that ever since um, that maybe, maybe has a little bit of that metal element in it, and maybe some other stuff too. You just reminded me of Live at Roseland. I don't oh, know if you've man, ever saw yeah. that DVD. is like Incredible. her smoking a cigarette, Beth Gibbons smoking a cigarette, is yeah. like perfection. It's nineties perfection for sure. It, it really is. It's as nineties as it gets. <laughs> you know, back. even Apocalyptica. Oh, you know. They, oh yeah, their cellos. You know, they, they have that uh, that advantage. So uh, you know, there's there's another band. So I mean, there's so many of them out there that have that possibilities now. There's actually Apocalyptica have been saying like the nice things, nicest things about this score on online. They've been they're oh, always yeah. commenting on your posts and stuff. They're, they're, they've been <laughs> absolutely lovely. Well, I, I was the first drummer they ever worked with. I mean, we, we got together sometime in, in the 90s. And we uh, I was doing a drum workshop in Holland. And they were in a theater next door. Uh, uh, they were about to do a show. And we met for the first time. And they said, hey, you want to get together and, and perform a I think it might have been a Slayer song that they were doing. I said, oh, I think I remember that song. <laughs> the stage and performed it together. So I think that might have been the first time I performed with, with, uh, you know, with cellos and and chamber instruments. Yeah, that's awesome. Another artist that's kind of similar to that is a group called the Vitamin String Quartet, which oh, they, yeah. they do covers, like cover albums of the most kind of really obscure metal. So, the, I mean, not that Meshuggah is obscure, but they'll do stuff like Meshuggah and even stuff that's more underground, but then they'll even do, you know, Third Eye Blind. And they have, I don't even know, like something like a hundred albums on, on on Spotify. They, Dude, it's insane how much music they do. They just put out all these, like they'll pick a band and they'll do like kind of the greatest hits or they'll take an album and they'll do it. And it's insane. And I'm, I listen to it. I'm like, how is this not in every film or in, in every trailer? Cause it, it, it makes even something like a Meshuggah or even their tool, the stuff they've done with tool is really cool because it, it feels so cinematic. I bet you it has, I bet you it's made it into more films and trailers than we'd, we'd even know. Call it the trailer house. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that music supervisors are always sort of got their ears to the ground for you know well i hope you've enjoyed this episode of last words mr dave lombardo where can the people find you online you can find me on twitter on instagram and on facebook at what though uh shit i don't know i just go to <laughs> dave lombardo <laughs> you know where to find dave google it he's easy to find <laughs> he's a legend just google him you'll find him just find me, man. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Eisler, where can the people find you online? 
same thing you can you can find me on uh, instagram most days most on a good day uh, at phil isler music thank you both so much for joining us on the show you can find me on instagram and twitter at doc coil xena where can the people find you uh you can google me too two e's uh but at xena coda everywhere you can uh find me if you want to follow us check us out at we are the pits on all platforms if you enjoyed this podcast but you want to see what cool shirt i'm wearing or dave lombardo's amazing drum kit in the background please go over to the pits youtube channel leave a comment tell us your favorite soundtrack